You are listening to the Coach's Ed Podcast exclusively on the Rush Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, today is October the 20, uh, October 1st, 2020. Uh, my name is Chris P. Our core value this month is accountability, and our coach development theme this month is evaluation. We are thrilled to be joined by my friend Tim Bradbury. So, Tim, thanks for joining us. Welcome. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. So, in, in a moment, Tim will share some of his journey, and then we're going to get right into the nitty-gritty of evaluations. If you can hear us okay, just type in the questions. Uh, we are having some technical difficulties. Uh, I can see Tim's screen, but it's a black screen. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it's not the other way around, that my screen is black and you can see him and uh, his smiley face. But Tim, thanks for joining us. Everybody uh, who will watch this later, everybody wherever you are in the world, thanks for joining us as well. Um, and welcome. Tim, tell us about your journey. It's uh, quite a long one now because of my tender age, but it goes from the fields of Stoke-on-Trent as a young player coach through to A-levels, frustrated professional career where you're told you're too slow. So somebody evaluated me at some point into teaching degrees, master's degrees in sociology and education, uh, work with the FA with Tom Tranter on the original fact series, incredibly enough, and the winning formula through to the fields of Long Island some 30 years ago where I've always been a coach developer. So been responsible for literally thousands of coaches who came from the UK to teach at different soccer companies. And obviously from that point migrated into United Coaches teaching on their national staff and US soccer and a DOC. And I guess more recently was one of the group who wrote the grassroots coaching courses and currently one of the educators of instructors for U.S. soccer within the grassroots realm. Brilliant. And that's uh, that's where we met, actually. I was watching you teach a, uh, a grill, a grassroots instructor's license. And uh, I'd heard about you before and had certain friends that had come through, the Noga and, and stuff, which is, you know, Michael Cockroft and Alex Twitchin and a few, uh, to say the least. And... Uh, it's a rich journey. You gave us a quick whistle-stop tour, um, but you did throw in there that you were a frustrated, frustrated teen um, who got evaluated at some stage for being too slow. So just on our theme of evaluation, um, what, what did evaluations back then, Tim, look like? Um, was it a, a tongue-in-cheek passing comment? Uh, hey, Bradbury, you're too slow? Or, or what, what did it look like back then? And, you know, what does it look like now? I think back then, to be honest, it was just after Noah and the Ark and the two animals piece. <laughs> but I think it was entirely subjective in that there was no science behind it. There was probably no benchmarks. It was a coach with a certain level of experience who'd earned the right to say at some point, I believe this kid has it or this kid doesn't. So I don't think it was scientific. I don't think it was well thought out. It was more of a gut feeling uh, on somebody's behalf who'd played the game at a certain level. You, uh, do you think that it's changed any um, in this country, per se? I think it's changed in this country in the fact that there's probably a bit more evidence-based 
uh, evaluation and we you're climbing into the conversation on formative and summative assessment which i think is a rich place for us to go evaluation and benchmarks within america is a cultural problem because at certain times that say an 11 year old that's an example if i'm deemed not to have a good enough first touch when do i reach maturation what's the full-time potential what's the long-time potential for that player uh, and we're all aware of the players who we christen as late developers who at some point in america if they didn't make the a team mum and dad would have simply taken to a different sport so i think you have to link evaluation with the cultural piece and you have to be very careful about what you say to it when it comes to players obviously a set of parents because quick too quickly without it being the right answer they run to another sport yeah i think that's uh rich information there and of course you know we see and we talk about you talk about formative and summative um evaluations but then certain clubs uh, or some clubs don't have benchmarks and proficiencies that they're evaluating and of course we don't take into consideration like you said the early bloomer the late bloomer i think we're in this hurry to either label children and label what they can't do as opposed to looking at their super strengths and what they can do couldn't agree more it's like the little kid who is the take-on artist at u7 who understandably at that age with their uh, cognitive development wants to have the ball wants to have the toy and has touched it a million times and can go and shred and the coach is standing on the sideline saying pass yeah we're too we're too contradictory with the things we ask for and what we eventually want uh, i think so. so i think that's huge there what we ask for and what we want you say we contradict ourselves and then you know so for example if we we take that u7 player like you just said and we are looking to evaluate that U7 player. Uh, and we've talked, you know, we've, we get them, we want them to be, get on the ball, stay on the ball, master the ball per se. But then, you know, you've got the coaches, you know, yelling to pass, and then we're going to evaluate them on their passing as well, as opposed to linking, you know, where, where are we in the, the periodization plan? Where are we, wh what do we want them doing? And are we evaluating based on that? So, for example, is it fair to evaluate in the, you know, if your topic is building out of the back, is it fair to evaluate players after six weeks on defending when your topic has solely been building out of the back? Yeah, and the answer is obviously no, not in my yeah. opinion. You can't evaluate kids on a set of skills and ideas that we haven't been teaching. Yeah, so... That evaluation for me is wrapped up in self-reflection because I've taught it and it being learned are just two different conversations completely. Yeah, yeah. And as it, uh, John Wooden says, right, we haven't taught until they've learned. So when we when we look at evaluations and the evaluation process, what what advice do you give to the coaches on and the coaches that will watch this later? Um, on the process you know for example you know what are the things we're looking for how often do we evaluate um and so on and so forth 
I think the process begins with the philosophy and culture within your own club. Because there's a link, obviously, to the vision of how I, how I want my club to play and therefore the players that we'd like to create that has to happen. Mm -hmm. And the deeper layer behind that for me becomes curriculum. And obviously curriculum built around skill sets being focused upon upon certain times and tactics being focused upon upon certain times because they become the emphasis of any philosophy, any system, any style which is at the cornerstone of what you want to look for when you evaluate. But I think the, the enormous problem, it's interesting that US soccer have a scouting license. I've sat on a field and we talked earlier about how many thousands of coaches I've worked with and collaborated with in their journey. And I can tell you of those thousands of coaches, when we stood on a field evaluating players, very rarely was there a similar lens. So they worked for me, they philosophically followed curriculum. I trained an enormous number. And when it came to a field and we were watching a game and coming up with a subjective opinion based upon sub skills that we thought should have been mastered, skills in our curriculum, often it was an enormous contradiction. So having said that, how, how do we go about then building that consistency and obviously you know you're talking to rush nation and and friends of people that are joining us um you know how do you go about building that consistency or even let's talk about how it should luke because i think that's somehow it's a rusty earnshaw thing how it definitely yeah. doesn't luke is the old skills tests where kids yeah. are seeing a stationary ball or a coach is feeding a kid a ball to perform a certain skill because the feed will never be the same. Mm -hmm. Passing a stationary ball is not the reality of the game. So unfortunately, and I think this is part of the conversation, that evaluation has got to be wrapped up in the reality of playing a 3v3, a 4v4. You're back to skill acquisition and perception action coupling. My ability to key in on the skill at the right time is wrapped up upon the pressure and space around me, which is wrapped up in a game. So for me, any player evaluation has got to happen within a real game. If I want the repetition of certain skills at younger ages, the smaller sided that game is, the better. Then you've got the debate upon, so you and I are in a team playing 3v3 against three kids who are just not athletes. Well, it's much easier for us to perform a skill. It's much easier for us to dribble into a space. It's much easier for us to perform 1v1s. When we switch a field and we're playing against three different athletes, obviously that becomes a different question. So it becomes an enormously problematic situation. The athletes were playing against the numbers on the field, the amount of reps or repetition chances we got to perform certain skills are just an enormous base for that conversation. Yeah, so huge there, right? I, I think there's times where we're measuring the wrong things, right? And uh, the, the culture we're in, the American culture we're in, might have a measurement of um, the team went 0-8 or the team went 8-0. and 0. 
So that's sometimes how teams, as opposed to individuals, are getting evaluated. It's the worst possible way to judge development. The A to O is no way to judge an individual development piece at all. How much I improved as a player in an A to O team if I'm a fullback who never touches a ball because we're being direct, it's going straight to the nine, and the nine's got jets. Well, I mean, oh, that could be. Yeah. Developed yeah. in any way. No, I hear. Tim, can you hear my background noise or do I need to mute myself? I can. It's quite loud. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, my evaluation uh, and self reflection is do webinars at home and not at the office. Um, but then everybody wonders where I am. Um, but um, I'll just mute myself when I'm not talking. So you, we, we talked about how it shouldn't look, right? And we talked about how it should look. Can we Can we look at skill acquisition can we look at um actions within a game so what are some of the things then we're looking for um we talked about perception action coupling and skill acquisition uh how we interact with others what, what are some things we are looking for i think you begin with you back to your curriculum and your club and your culture but if we're a possession-based team and say the kids are eight this is almost some of the na old national youth license, which for me was a very valuable course in that at that age, I should be able to dribble it. I should be able to pass. I should be able to strike a ball with the laces, which is less rotation. So it's physically easier. Uh, I should be able to be able to hopefully receive a ball and play a little pass to myself. So I think the first touch piece pre U8 is fairly important because that ability to take a touch and put the ball in a space where I can use it is an essential piece to future development. So I think A, you can focus upon certain skills that you think are essential by age group. And along with those social skills, you can do a little bit of decision-making and it begins there for me. What space does a kid put the ball into as he comes to them? Are they thinking about that space? Is it? just receive anywhere as long as it's by me. Uh, so th those for me would be the cornerstones of what is a good process in terms of formative assessment. I was talking there while I was on mute. I think that that's huge. I think the cornerstones and then obviously tying it on to your club curriculum, club culture, um, but also identity right which i think many clubs miss um and struggle to to incorporate um, let me throw a grenade let me throw a grenade into the conversation so and this is a, a question for the coaches i'm u8 i'm watching the group play are there are their life skills more important than their soccer skills so if i've got a little kid who is working his tail off enormous resilience they're getting beat eight nil in some little three v three and the kid never quits. The kid never quits. And then in addition to never quitting, the kid's encouraging all the kids around him. So you get the picture. So that kid got a brighter future as a soccer player because of the life skills and the personality he shows. Because I would argue that the answer is yes. And we've got all sorts of people like New York City FC and everybody else telling me they evaluate purely on the life skills piece, how brave a kid is, how resilient a kid kid is. Well, it's right telling me that, but I want to know how that looks in an evaluation. 
What are the specific moments that you're looking for that you believe displays those vital characteristics, those human characteristics? Because I believe if I've got a good enough coach who can sponsor a love for the ball, the years post eight, if we're using eight as an example, becoming vital and those characteristics are the ones that will lead to long-term success. Now, long-term success and long-term athlete development, we talk about it a lot. Um, we mention it a lot, but how often are we looking at those skills that you just mentioned, right? Um, and I remember a story Bill Beswick told, um, the great applied sports psychologist and, and good friend. He's like, he, he picked, uh, instead of picking the best player, players, he picked what he felt were the most enthusiastic kids. Um, and he, he went on and they had a brilliant season because he looked he looked beyond the 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 skill sets. He just looked at the, the life skills like you just mentioned. Um, and it'd be interesting to hear from the coaches that are on there if they have questions around that and how we how we measure some of those intangibles and how we look at those things and how how do we evaluate those things? Right. Um, and it's refreshing, Tim, to hear a man, a coach of your caliber talking about these things, but also saying that New York City FC are looking at these things. Um, so you're 8-0 down, you're, you know, you're still fighting, you're still scrapping, or are you that player that's uh, an early bloomer that has an absolutely minging attitude um, because the ball's been misplaced, you know, three inches away from your foot instead of to your feet. So I think these are, these are really good things to think about and consider um, when we are looking at evaluation, selection, process, and, and these things. Yeah, I don't think we can... Back to that cultural piece within America, because this for me is the next piece of the jigsaw. You have to be so careful with the wording of any evaluation of a young American kid, because the immediate reward demand of our culture is such that a parent quickly will run off and pick up a stick. Not to beat you with, but obviously a stick for the kid to go play lacrosse with or baseball because they're searching for the moment and the sweet spot in their mind where somebody says, your kid's great at this. Your kid's upside, your potential, the kid's athleticism in this place is brilliant. One of my big worries about evaluations is that because of what I just explained, coaches are too willing to uh, fabricate the truth. If I can out-promise the other sport, the kid will stay in this domain. Uh, and you're back to life skills and culture, because if your cultures were going to be honest, <laughs> then you have a, an issue to address here. Yeah, so there's the term like brutal honesty, right? I don't believe that that's a good term because I just believe in honesty. But it's how, how do you deliver that evaluation where you know, you're telling a child they're not ready yet for the first team and there's certain aspects that they need to work on. Um, but I think sometimes, even though we tell them, you know, hey, you're good at X, Y, and Z, you need to work on A, B, and C. All they've heard is X, Y, and Z. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I think you're yeah. so right in talking about the wording and the language um, and, and how we deliver that stuff to to keep kids in the game, but also give them a realistic, them and their parents a realistic view 
of where they truly are on the spectrum. Now, not comparing to other kids on the team or other siblings, which is also very dangerous, but just considering, you know, where they're at in their own journey. I think it's always should be their own journey. I think it should be almost a reflection on their ability to fulfill their potential with the place they're at and their future potential. And I think that's one of the issues that you should do it in relation to the kid and as you said, their own journey, nobody else's journey. We used to do evaluations on NOGA camps. And at one point we were getting through thousands of kids in a summer. It was a written evaluation. We gave it them on the Saturday at a parent presentation. And sure enough, we got clubs coming to us saying, the mum and dad have come from your camp with this evaluation that says my kid's great. They're demanding to be on the A-team. And obviously our summer coaches were writing evaluations for the size of the tip. Wonderfully positive, a little bit of figment, uh, all smiles, but not really helping anybody. I think uh, I think it's uh, Stuart Armstrong's that caused it the, uh, the 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 shit sandwich feedback. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? The positive, the negative, and then the positive. Um, but I, I, honestly, you know, obviously, you know, we're we're in that time now, October. Things are back into full swing normal flow it's evaluation time now um myself what, what i do tim and, and you can give us some advice here on your experience as well but there, there are three questions that i ask players regardless of their age after a game i ask them to think about what will you stop doing what will you start doing what will you stay doing um and then we talk about it you know so it's an ongoing verbal um and then, you know, we, we do try and find the positives and find their super strengths, especially at the younger ages. Um, and then we, we try and layer in, hey, can you work on this? But, you know, that's all part of developing, per se, individual development plans. So players know where they stand and, and checking in with them. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think you're going through, A, it's always got to be an individual development plan. And I've got to know the kid, connect with the kid both as a person, for the reasons we already talked about, but also as a soccer person. Part of that connection and part of their psychological safety should result in them dreaming big for me, if you've got a good coaching relationship, which means at the end of every game, we're just checking in on the process. So to use the first touch ex example again, uh, Chris, how many times do you believe your first touch really got you into a great space? What can we do to work on that? further in the future so specific for me with each kid skills a super strength as you talk about and also a growth and I think if you can get to each kid within your collective every kid each game then I think you're doing a great job yeah I like I like how specific you got there obviously um and I like the word you, you know you use the word growth and I know you're you're big um, into Doug Lemoff, and I think he uses the the glows and grows. We we often use those as well. Um, what what uh, what clubs? What things have you seen around evaluation? Or you know, we've talked about what we shouldn't be looking at it. But what who have you seen that's doing it really well? Um, and what could we take from that? In you were going to ask me a question that would make me enormously unpopular. 
so thanks for doing that because if you ask me about the clubs who are doing it really well i would tell you i haven't seen a club i've seen a coach in an age group or an age group that do it well i've got some fellow educators who from their descriptions of how they've done their clubs do it well but my first hand experience i have not seen a club doing it well I think then that I think that's fair, but you know, you said there's a coach in an age group that's doing well. What, what you don't have to name the coach to make you even more unpopular, um, which you're not anyway. Um, but what, what, what things are they doing? Um, and I know you've touched upon some of them. What things are they doing that shows that they're doing it well and it's an ongoing, you know, it's it's formative as opposed to subjective? It's an ongoing process with definite discussions definite points in time it's an ongoing discussion with certain skills as a focus so it's very specific these are the the things we're looking to improve these we think that are great that you can get better at it, because it's a constant process with constant feedback when it and i do believe that assessment should be formative but i also believe that at some point it's okay to say to people this goes to coaching ed okay at this point we need you to be this effective and therefore this is the standard now people think there's a contradiction in the two conversations which i understand as a piece of academic conversation but the reality of it and we'll use coaches as an example because that's much easier for me i can be constantly giving feedback to a coach i can be helping i can give them action steps to improve upon but by date x you need to show this level of effectiveness to be able to coach at this standard and it, it's fine if we don't get there it's fine because we're just saying at your point in your trajectory of your learning you're not ready you'll get ready we'll get you there it just might take a little bit longer and we might have to pay a bit more attention to certain details that only becomes a, a conversation which is listenable to if you've got a, a dweck if you've got a growth mindset and too often when it comes to formal evaluation and standards people with a growth mindset quickly retreat into a closed mindset tim why do you think that is uh pressure pressure on themselves pressure on wanting to we all want to, I believe we all dream big. We all want to get to the high standard within our profession, within our, I think that's part of the, the human piece. And it's great dreaming big, but chunking the journey into steps you can achieve at certain times is also a very logical piece. So I think it's hopefully innate pressure that they're putting on themselves because of a desire. Some of the coaches I have on, I have a very good rapport with coaches who who do licenses with me and some of them uh quite frankly do it to please me tim we've worked so hard to do this you've collaborated with me i want to get there and which is you know it's great yeah and i think that's that's important right i think personally i think part of it is is because they've not been in that environment right when we when we go through the licensure and stuff like that it's a it's a very it's a different environment um and i know that the federation has changed and worked very hard on being more holistic um 
but in the past I think you'd be fair to say it wasn't very holistic and it was kind of a break you down mentality but when we look at coach evaluation now I think it's more of a collaboration people do need to reflect more and think about well, well what areas um, what areas am I deficient in um, and what areas am I strong in and how do I continue to to grow those areas but how do I continue to work on those weaknesses or or areas of grows um but i think, I think we've got an enormous problem let me jump in there because i think you've hit on for me what is one of my key key issues with clubs the club environment where coaches live and breathe every day is a smile at each other wink each other tap each other on the bum and say great job it's just easier to exist within that so if you're on a field coaching next to me and I can see it's a bit of a trauma, I can see things are going south. At the end of your session, I just smile and say, great job. We're just not helping each other in any the, a professional learning community based upon honesty. If you ask me how many clubs I see that in where coaches, and I know it sounds a bit barbaric and I'm not suggesting it should be bar barbaric, but if I'm coaching on a field to you, next to you, and I've, the rhythm of my session was wrong. The question, I've just had emotionally intelligence is lacking. I've had a bad day. Uh, I'm losing it with the kids. They're doing laps. It's okay for you to say to me, it certainly should be okay for you to say to me, Tim, you just, that was not great. These are the reasons why. And my mindset should be, thanks for helping. Because everything, we work together. We're on a field every day. Your only desire is to make me a better coach. And I don't think anyone on this or anyone who listens to it believes that becoming a better coach is all about having fluff blown at you. Oh, great job. You look really good today. And if you can tell me you've seen fields where that professional learning community is alive and well, and people feel safe to say, I think you could have done better, then I'd love to come and see it. Yeah. And listen, we, we have... Uh... Our guiding North Star here is, you know, we ask every question is what's best for the child, right? So if we're asking that question, we have tried to develop that environment where coaches can deliver uh, deliver feedback in the way to help you. Um, because the guiding North Star is what's best for the child. We just sometimes have to understand and realize that it's a little bit of a slower moving process to get there uh, for some. Um, I. I ask for feedback quite constantly um, and there's coaches that provide that um, you know what I mean but my my guiding star is you know what's best for the child how can I be a better coach to be better for the players and a lot of people you know there's still a huge element of ego involved in coaching right um, and you, you talk about emotional intelligence we talk about a professional coaching community with honesty uh, and I think that's where we need to get to, to make it better for, for everybody involved in the game, right? So how do, we, how do we get there? What frameworks can we set up, right, within our coach evaluation to help get us there quicker? I think it all starts again with your club culture and your core values. You meet as a group of coaches, you decide the core values that you're going to operate on. I'd like to think honesty and personal development comes out of that conversation. And once we've got to that piece of the conversation, the next piece for me becomes easy because the next piece is 
an agreement. It's almost uh, the rule of three, which I'm sure you've uh, followed on Twitter, that we all agree to be great. We all agree to get each other feedback and we all agree to be honest in that process. And most coaches are fine by it, uh, certainly on licenses I'm teaching, they buy into it. It's like a, a duck out of water. They love it. They go away, they try and put it in the clubs. So it becomes a, an environment and a place that they're used to and they want. They want that level of honesty. And often they'll reach out to me six months, eight months later and say, Tim, we're back to square one with this. And us getting better has got to be the main thing because as you rightly pointed out, this is just about how effective can we be for the kids? How good can I be so that every kid leaves me? A, wants to play forever. B, wants to coach. C, is a great person. And D, hopefully, will become a great player one day. Yeah, I think that's huge. We've just, uh, and the, the role of three is, uh, have you followed Mark Bennett's work? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we, do, we have a question that's come in. It says, with club soccer, how important is it to have uh, DOCs or mentors to watch practices at all levels? Obviously vital, and most clubs, you're back to the club problem, and I know we said we wouldn't get into clubs, but we obviously are, in that most clubs have got a DOC who's coaching so much they don't get to watch anyone else. That, that for me, betrays the title. I'm a director of coaching. My main responsibility is the coaches who work around me because that's the best way for me to... The reason I became a coach educator is because my dream was to impact thousands of young soccer players. Best way to do that was to impact coaches. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, with, with you know, DOCs having packed schedules, like you say, and, you know, it's kind of an oxymoron of a, of a uh, title, right? Director of coaching, yet you're working with teams and impacting players. You know, what, I mean... So here's the thing. We have some recreational coaches that they they work on islands per se. Um, with the shutdown and schools being closed, we're not on school properties. So they have the opportunity to come out to our facility here. Um, so we get a chance to observe and jump in uh, and watch some of the coaches and give feedback. We, we recently had an all-rush coaches meeting where we brought coaches from all walks of life. Uh, rec advanced school of excellence and our travel program so from all our programming we brought them together and we sat in we went through our club culture and philosophy and then we said okay now go design sessions um for this age uh this stage and then we went out into the field and did them so but then we haven't had a, a second follow-up yet with the exception of the coaches who are working on location here what what would you say about that and that process are we on steps in the right direction? Or? Yeah, I think whatever you bring coaches together, I think every kid deserves to have the best coach in front of them as possible. And whether you're rep coaches, I don't know if they're volunteer coaches or paid coaches, but obviously for me, every coach should have the drive. I want to be as good as I can be because the kids in front of me deserve that, which is why I believe in mandatory coaching ad and all the other things that I believe should be in place. Yeah, so mandatory coaching ed, which might even be club ed, uh, professional licenses, um, you know, and obviously they're easily accessible now with the grassroots license uh, online and stuff like that. Um, any other 
forms of coaching ed that people could get? I think you have to open people's minds and eyes up as coach educators as to all the ways you can develop. So my question to everybody on this would be write down everything you've done to become a better coach in the last 12 months. This webinar is a freebie. And the list in this day and age should be fairly enormous from the books that we're reading from, I don't know, Peak, Bounce, you name it, to the TED Talks, to the podcasts. So we're blessed in the fact that we're in such a, a place within our culture that access to learning, and we talked, you and I talked earlier about McQuaid and self-reflection just teach yourself to self-reflect in, in, in an accurate way don't treat self-reflection as a, a flyby because if you can self-reflect well honestly and create action steps with specific things to reflect upon so i'm just going to reflect today on the questions i asked the level of questions nothing else is important i'm going to audio my session i don't need to video it i'll just record the audio i'll sit and listen to the audio and see what questions I asked. And if you can get to that level of self-reflection, well, there's no easier way or better way of improving as a coach than, than having a very valid self-reflection process. I think that's huge. I think you touched on so many things, but just to, you know, if we read and we watch TED Talks and podcasts and webinars, um, doesn't necessarily make us a better coach, right? It, it might give us a different way, but we mustn't lose the context the context of how we're applying some of this new knowledge that we're gaining from uh, from these things, right? It's like uh, many people you in the right environment. It doesn't mean that you're going to go out on a field and be more effective. If you do half the things we just said and you're coaching new fives, instead of watching animated Disney movies, you're probably not going to be very effective at all because your delivery will be off. So eventually the effectiveness piece, which is back to evaluation assessment, has got to be with a, I believe a person who's rich in experience, who's, who can do it with that age group. The reason I still coach so much is because I want to be able to teach well. I want to be able to teach coaches. For that to happen, I've got to be out on a field with five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds through to our 18 ODPs. working through the ranges to understand. And then there's a great question that's coming from my good friend Slobo from, from Canada. He says, some coaches are great with kids U12 and younger, and some are great with older players U13 and older. How would you define characteristics of each? And I think you started to touch upon that stuff, Tim. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, just at breakneck speed, your U6 coach needs to be animated, fun, charismatic, needs to be able to explain things in very concise short bursts because coaching at that age is about short bursts 15 seconds max and they go out and play and they come back so it's uh, that approach being down on their level humility I mean if you go back to life skills if I can't laugh at myself and I'm coaching new sixes I've probably got no right coaching new sixes it should be an agent for fun uh, I think you said just, I, I just I'd, I just add to that I would say can be uh, childlike not childish yeah agreed absolutely yeah. 
tell me the other ages that the question U13, U13 and above. U13, probably the most important thing is a connection with the kids because at U13, life's a mess. Physically, you're a mess. Emotionally, you're a mess. So I'd want somebody who is emotionally aware, composed, can connect to the kids, back to the life skills piece first. At that point, I believe you need, because we're at the 11 aside piece, so there's a deep knowledge of the game. There's a, an understanding of style and culture within our club. Uh, for me, coaching at that age is about getting kids to solve problems. So do I let kids collaborate to solve problems? Do I ask a back four how they dealt with the front two? So at that point, by that point, you, you're certainly a more defined teacher in the traditional sense because it's about your questioning skills, your game intelligence, your emotional intelligence, ability to connect with kids who are going through what is uh, an emotional turmoil, to be frank. Yeah, I agree. Um, and this is also from Slavo. He says, uh, player evaluations are mainly subjective if we are not using standardized tests. At Rush Canada, we have a battery of testing that covers different players, individual abilities that we do two times per year. Do you use such tests as the means for player evaluation and placement? I think it's what we talked about earlier. I'm yeah. opposed, and I, 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 I don't want to be grey, so I'll be black and white. I'm opposed to batteries of tests where typically it's player, players feeding players or coach feeding players because the feed will always be different. The tests happen in unrealistic situations that don't in any way replicate the game striking a stationary ball in the air well very rarely are we striking a stationary ball when we're playing so i haven't found a battery of tests that are reality based and deal with the perception action coupling piece and therefore for me i just don't believe in batteries of tests so reality based are we evaluating in the game how are their decisions what what are they thinking are we talking to them about what they're thinking you know Small-sided games is your answer. Three v three, two v twos, four v four. Certain ages you can go bigger, but really it's got to be. I believe it's got to be within a game setting. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then with with coach evaluations, you know, how? And again, I know it goes back to the culture of your club and stuff, but you know, if a coach is seeking evaluation. Um, from a higher up, a peer, you know, what, you know, how often, you know, if you're in an environment that you, you're aiming to grow in, how often should, there's a lot of reflection going on. So I'm going to, my question is, is how often do you think a coach should look to be evaluated? Once every four weeks. In a great environment, I believe it's once every four weeks. I believe it's with a list of agreed upon behaviors that have, these are the things we agree should be appropriate at this stage with this team. And that can differ from team to team, relationship to relationship. So we have a, a meeting where we agree these are the skill sets that we're going to focus on as part of this part of your appraisal, your evaluation. We meet once, we give you action steps. Four weeks, we just focus upon those action steps, those skills mm -hmm. that we thought were, and it can be, as we talked about earlier, it can be skills that were great that we're just making, making better, and it can be places of real need. 
Yeah, I like that. And uh, I recently spoke with um, a gent from the Red Bulls, and they do loads. And I know you've you've done some stuff with them um, in the past, but they they do kind of loads on the coach head and the coach development piece, especially with the um, coach eval and um, you know watching and just really pulling pulling out of their staff. Um, is there any? Uh, I think part of this becomes, and we'll talk about this for the future. I did a design yeah. presentation on effective feedback. Exactly. So how those meetings, how that evaluation results in a feedback session, and that's what I did for the Red Bulls. I went in and presented it to their full-time staff. Uh, there's a lot in that space. We haven't got time to cover it now, but there's a that's a very deep discussion from blind spots from the person doing the watching through to the way the feedback's presented through to the emotional intelligence of the person listening. I mean, it's deep. Be a, uh, that might be a second webinar for us, Tim, at some stage as well. The effectiveness of feedback and stuff like that. But uh, I think that's huge. So let's uh, let's do this, Tim. We'll, we'll open up to any questions um, from our audience and see if they have any anything specific for us to type in. Um, and if, if it's a great question, I might even unmute the person so they can ask that question. So, so we'll be on standby. But Sounds good. Just to, to summarize, like some of the characteristics we're looking at for U6 coaches was fun, charismatic, working short bursts, humility, get down at their level, agent of fun, childlike, not childish. And then for the older kids, it was um, connections, right? Um, again, tied into the style, the culture. Are we collaborating with players to solve problems? And the example you gave was how, how as a back four did we deal with their back two? Okay, how do we deal with the front three? Um, so we're constantly asking players to be involved in their own development and stuff like that. And I apologize for my background noise. All good. Oh, yeah, no questions coming in at this minute, Coach Bradbury. That's okay. Although well, there's some questions about my noise in the background, but uh, so that's your fan club. Yeah, yeah. Fighting to get in the door. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, people can. I'll make an invite if people want to email me or get to Twitter, ask me questions. I'm happy to share opinions. I'm, I'm not going to pretend it's scientifically based. It's based on a lot of experience. Uh, I think lined with probably a lot of coaching ed and educational pieces, but I'm always happy to share and answer questions. Question that's come in, Tim. There's a question that's come in. Um, process related question. What are the three to five musts and must nots in evaluating? And this come in from Reedy. Reedy, Stephen, thank you for your question. Agreed upon skills so you need agreed upon criteria yeah that's the main piece and agreed upon formative summative discussion is this part of a, a process am i going to come back am i am i going to be given action steps yeah honesty clarity and care in other words the our, our conversation has got to be really honest both ways. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those are 
I know he asked for five. Those are probably the six pieces I think are at the key of any ongoing evaluation process. Yeah, facts based, important, right? Like yeah. such as in minute 12, Chris, you asked a really silly question. Um, and you could, for example, right, if we're taking this, this webinar, um, you know, your stoppage was for three minutes. You know, facts based, like you say, but brilliant. Um, there is another question that's come in and it says, how important is it to understand the development of the brain at various ages to coach effectively? I think having an awareness age is obviously a, a dubious description because chronological age and developmental age and developmental stages, we talk about plus or minus four. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously an awareness, you're back to you sixes. If you're trying to layer instruction to you sixes in a way that they just got no way of understanding, I've seen coaches talk to you sixes for two minutes with a, a 20 or 30 instructions. Well, you've got no awareness of their cognitive development if that's the way you're teaching them because they can't sequentially deal with that or break it down. So I think an awareness of the cognitive piece, like the physical, like the psychosocial, is important because it leads you to think about best practices in delivery. The use of the words, the cadence of the words, the emphasis of the words, and the length of the words I'm knitting together. Yeah, so if you're coaching a U8 group, for example, how long should the stoppage be? And your explanation, rule of thumb. 30 seconds, Yeah. rule of yeah. thumb. Yeah, and, and U6 is even two, shorter. Possibly two, three instructions can be layered at U8 with some kids, but you've also got to be aware that there's a kid who's just not that not cognitive developed and you're reading the visual clues well tim doesn't look like he gets that i said three things to him so next time i'll say one yeah yeah it's uh knowing who's in front of you right yeah if you you can read the clues kids are pretty obvious yeah yeah if they're if they're already off after you've given them the first instruction um maybe hold on the on the second and third yes yeah I think I, I think I heard somewhere, Tim, it's like a, you get two seconds per year of the age of the kid. So if they're eight, you basically get 16 seconds. But I think 30 seconds is a good rule of thumb. Yeah, it's, uh, I've not heard the two second thing, but I can believe it's out there. I just don't know many people who can cut things down that concisely. I talk about when we're coaching a freeze moment, a minute 30 to do the RRR process review, rehearse, restart, and then that's a challenge to get. I find that's an increasing challenge for coaches to do. A minute and a half. Yeah. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, Tim, is there any questions that maybe I should have asked you around evaluation that I didn't um, and that you could share with us, just in case I missed anything? So let's talk briefly about the coaching world. I've taught diplomas and licenses uh, for quite a while and I know that one of the issues people have with United Coaches is that everybody passes so mixed up in this conversation is this piece on standards is it okay to say at this point in time 
you don't meet this standard. And increasingly, I'm finding that other groups are talking about formative assessment. I think Raptor and all that is still because it's all about the kids. It's okay to say at a certain point in time, at this time, you haven't reached the necessary level to do X, whatever job X is, and it's okay, we'll get you there. And I don't think that we can sacrifice standards as we become more humane about the evaluation process. It's becoming a big concern of mine. Yeah, um, obviously standards and, and sometimes lack of uh, can can be a real issue, right? And I think I, I heard somewhere the the standards that the leader allows is the standards that people will get was the quote I like to that it. effect or something yeah so but so tim why don't you uh, share your twitter handle so people can uh, get a hold of you or certainly tim b d o c i one more time tim b d o c i tim b d o c i and that's at your twitter handle right correct brilliant brilliant well tim thanks so much for joining us Thanks everybody for joining us too. I'm going to give you like 30 seconds for another question um, in case any come in. But uh, Tim, you've been insightful and uh, it's always great talking to you. I always feel uh, a lot cleverer, if that's a word, when, when I'm done talking to you. And uh, I can't thank everybody you. Everybody feels clever after they've talked to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at me. I must be clever. Look at that guy. <laughs> where they can't see you right now um this this has just come in and it's a comment and uh it's a brilliant conversation great job uh what a great resource to have tim uh thanks gents for sharing your time and expertise thank and you very much i really appreciate the fact that anybody's here and i appreciate the fact that you're willing to listen so thank you i'm duly yeah. humble brilliant tim we'll we'll uh we'll do another one based on feedback when you're ready I know you're busy and uh, dealing with blended, blended this, blended that. Uh, so much so, I think I'm going to go watch the film Blended tonight with Adam Sandler. So, but we've had another question, I think, come in. Um, and uh, ah, it's a, that's a great question, and I'll share this with you. It says, Chris, what do you see as the challenges for implementing a common evaluation system across Rush? Um, I'll bounce that off you, Tim. You know a little about the Rush. Uh, I think in any large organization, and I think you guys are obviously a fair size, keeping things consistent across the lot, you almost need uh, an evaluation police, or your core values become so strong, and with big organizations that is an issue, that people just agree and adhere to this is what, you know, this is our standard, this is how we're going to do it. And that becomes, with any big organisation, that's an enormous problem. Yeah. Challenge. That's a good question, Eric. We can chat about that offline as well. Um, and then I'll be, of course, picking Tim's brain on how we how we bring that in to 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 dig deeper and have those standards um, and our non-negotiables. But good stuff. So, everybody, thanks for joining us. We look forward to our next one, Tim. It's been brilliant. Look forward Chris, to catching so up. Stay safe, people. Brilliant. See you. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to Coach's Education exclusively on the Rush Podcast Network.